Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 129 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. I'm Robert Shea. And I know you're very excited because today we're talking about one of your absolute favorite topics in the world. Well, with two of my great friends. Although we're talking about a, a report that I helped write. So truth be told, I don't even, I don't even know where we're having guests because I mean, we could just do this on the cheap, just you and me. Well, well we are doing it on the cheap because we're not paying them anything. So don't don't worry about that. Oh, okay. I'm I'm aware of the budget of this program intimately. Um, but before we get into that, there's a, st- a story that you told me before we started recording about something else that you wrote with these two gentlemen today. Well, we were locked in a room for several months in a row, writing what at the time seemed seemed very forward looking. The Electronic Government Act set the foundation for governance of the digital transformation of the federal government. And I couldn't imagine being locked in a room with two nicer guys. Now, so all you did, all the three of you did, was write the foundational legislation for information technology transformation in government. That's it. That's a big deal. That's huge. That's very important. And you just soft-sold it. Well, well, first of all, it wasn't just us. It was a team effort. I was working for Fred Thompson at the time. Senator Lieberman was really the lead. Uh, and his staffer, Kevin Landy. But yeah, that's what we did. Pretty amazing. Um, What I love about this program is, I I like talking about transition, which is the topic that is so near and dear to your heart. But I am huge fans of both of the other guests that are on the program today. Dan Chenick is the executive director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Dave McClure is principal director of the Federal CIO Advisory Services uh, at Accenture Federal Services, friends of mine for a long time, friends of yours for longer. Gentlemen, welcome. It's great to see both of you here. I'm sorry that you had to be locked in a room again with Robert, as you were a couple of decades ago, to produce this work. But Dan, I'll start with you. What was the gist of what you wanted to provide here? What What's the takeaway that somebody will get when they dig into this latest work from ACT-IAC? Well, ACT-IAC has done work in every presidential election season for the last uh, probably two decades in terms of identifying what are the major technology issues facing what could be a, a new administration or a second term of a of a current administration. And uh, so it's, it has a tradition of trying to step back at this time, kind of think about the state of technology, how technology is affecting government, and then... Uh, how that can drive uh, better outcomes. And that's really what brought us together, Robert and I and Dave and uh, several other leaders in our industry working with, with ACT-IAC and, and great teams of volunteers from the association to put together some ideas around how can government become more citizens-focused, more focused on outcomes that drive the citizen uh, toward a better, a better way of life, better quality of life, how to make government more modern in terms of its infrastructure and processes, how to transform those, and how to make government more agile, more able to bring in new technology. So those were really three of our principal goals. Dave, the reason I think that this work is particularly valuable is because, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but the work that you and your team did 
is an expansion and extension and evolution, I think, of the work that both the Obama and Trump administrations have done on the president's management agenda. This is, whether it was intentional or not, one of the goals here was to build on work that's already been done instead of proposing that we trash everything and start all over again. Is that a fair read? Yeah, that's right, Francis. I think so. Um, There's a lot of good foundational work done in the Obama administration and carried on into into the Trump administration in terms of the president's management agenda. So, yeah, what we're I think what we were trying to do in this transition series is make that clear. But also, I think we recognize that agencies really are in an inflection point. Uh, COVID has ex- sort of accelerated this interest in how can we actually get government to deliver outcomes better in very in a very different setting than what we've seen in the past, uh, different operating models, different uh, uh, emphasis on customer experience and outcomes, and again, uh, we see from uh, a lot of the research that we that we looked at that trust in government is is directly related to how well the government performs and delivers services. So that's a that's a key threat here. COVID sort of hit just as we were getting started. Yep. We wanted to emphasize the importance of outcomes, that the government's not here to just spend money and, and, and do busy work. It's, it's intended to achieve important outcomes. And one of the things we do in the report is enumerate some of the important contributions of government, uh, but also to restore trust. Trust in government has been on the steep decline, and I don't think we've helped anything in the last six months. So my question to both of you would be, do you see us on the precipice of a of an era in which we can take some of these and a lot of the other recommendations going into the transition to restore our institutions, retro- restore trust in our government, really focus our activities on really important outcomes, things that are important to the citizens? That's a very broad question, so feel free to punt. <laughs> well, I think it's what... what one of the things the report did very well to kind of build that that or switch that trust equation toward a more positive uh, a level was to outline what are the challenges that public expectations about government services, um, challenges in terms of, of siloed approaches to government providing services when a citizen's getting served in a similar way from different agencies or even different parts within an agency and having to look at several different processes. Um, so it's not just about sort of the overall delivery of, of, of outcome-based services, it's about all the processes and technologies used to get there. And that, that it's all of a piece and that if you sort of create this whole of government strategy to bring together organizational process and technology uh, reform and sort of focus that on the citizen and or, or the customer receiving the service, uh, you can get to a much better place. And so uh, that's why Dave's point about really outcomes led to an example of a recommendation that we had uh, to create a new role in agencies called the outcomes leader who can bring together all of these process organization and technology stovepipes in a way that kind of drives toward a better result for 
for the citizen or the person being served. That's an element of the first recommendation that you make in this work, uh, Dan, and you write that outcome leaders should be appointed by the agency deputy secretary with delegated decision authority to work within and across agencies to align resources, resolve issues, build partnerships, and lead development of plannings, plans and reporting. Should that be a new job? That sounds like a full-time job. And so I wonder if you're contemplating adding an outcome leader or a chief outcome officer or something like that, or if this is something that can be incorporated into the responsibility of somebody that already exists. So I think that our, our model here was not a permanent bureaucracy. It was more um, agencies are going to have different goals across an administration and even across administrations. And that those goals can be headed by, you know, in the past, you might have thought of this as a like a task force um, where you bring together people um, for a period of time until a goal is achieved. Uh, but the concept is rather than think about it organizationally like another government committee, let's think about it in terms of the outcome that we're trying to achieve. And then let's bring together agency and also private sector resources uh, to achieve that outcome. Yeah. And Francis, I would just add that. Um I think this focus on outcomes is uh, not not necessarily anything new, but I think it's urgent. And it's urgent because there's so much resistance and complexity in government that you need a focus on outcomes. And Robert knows this from being involved so heavily in performance management issues. Uh, You've got to have some sort of centralized leadership that's pushing the ball up the hill, or otherwise this can fall apart really fast. I don't think it's a permanent position. I think it's a it's a dynamic position that we think needs to be created to energize uh, discussions and uh, um, uh, services that are built around outcome delivery, not just counting widgets or doing compliance stuff, but to actually improve the performance of government through the through the outcome focus. And for that reason, this person could be temporary, could be an existing official that is tapped with the responsibility, or it could be somebody named with that role. We didn't specify it. We wanted to leave the option there. The second recommendation that your team makes is creating a government-wide acceleration and change strategy. And the piece here that jumped out at me is the overall government acceleration strategy should be a product of the president's management council and a major focus of their active oversight and management of the executive branch. This is another team effort uh, similar to what you just alluded to, right, Dave? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think this, uh, what we know is one of the biggest uh, barriers to change in government is the pace and ex- uh, uh, the pace of acceleration of change. It often gets bogged down, people lose interest, uh, new agendas take it over. So we do think the, this acceleration strategy is critical. It can build off the PMA work that's already been done. It can get some of these sea uh, level positions that have been created to work in harmony rather than in silos. And uh, again, the focus would be on trying to make sure that we're seeing some change in reasonable time frames rather than waiting, you know, months or years. There's opportunities to turn things around, I think, much faster. And this, this would really be a, a mechanism, a strategy to, 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 to make that a reality. Robert, since you worked on this, I'm going to pretend that you're another guest, and I'm oh, going to good. finally I'm, a little respect, a little respect. <laughs> no, don't, no, don't. Now, just because I didn't call you commissioner, 
doesn't mean that I don't respect you. The third recommendation is creating a government-wide enterprise risk officer at OMB. And it strikes me that this is a recognition that the evolution that the government has gone through over the last, what, 10 or 15 years about enterprise risk management has really matured, that, that there's, there's finally a recognition that the effort that individual agencies have undertaken need to be collected and combined together, and there needs to be an exchange of information about risk across government. Am I reading that right? Well, I think if ACT-IAC recommends it means it has achieved a level of maturity, then I think that would be great. This is more aspirational, I think. Not every agency has kept up with the, a, a modern approach to risk management. And I think the pandemic shows that some of us were caught flat-footed, not really doing what we needed to do to put in plans to address what we knew was a risk. What GAO had told us incessantly was one of the major risks to our country. So this is sort of based on what we hope a mature risk management approach would be. This is a, uh, a leader in central government who can bring all those pieces together. And if there are common uh, risks in profiles across government, making sure that there's a coordinated risk mitigation strategy in place and that when certain risks aren't getting adequate attention, there's someone to blow the whistle, make sure that everybody's paying attention and rowing in the same direction. Dan, does it matter where in OMB that enterprise risk officer would live, or does it just matter that that person exists and is performing the functions that you're recommending that that person perform? Yeah, we didn't specify the level again. Um, there is currently a chief information security officer, so there's sort of a, a risk um, leader in OMB for information technology. But we were really talking more broadly about um, physical risks, health risks, you know, with COVID, um, talking about a whole of government and even a whole of nation strategy um, to address risk and that this person could be involved, for example, in addressing supply chain risk management during the pandemic or even understanding the challenges of delivering personal protective equipment and developing a strategy uh, around that. So it, it really is somebody that can help drive that second goal of the of the task force, which was around transforming the physical and virtual infrastructure of government in a manner that uh, reduces risk uh, and maximizes benefit. The fourth recommendation is one that I have talked to you each individually about in the past, and it's, so it's not surprising to me that it's here. It's establishing a new workforce and leadership model for the digital workforce. I, I'll start with you, Dan, Dave, and Robert. I want both of you to weigh in on this too. What does that look like, and what has to happen, and who has to do it to move us from what we have now to what you would like to see? Sure. So I'll just start with uh, some of the basics of the recommendation. And it really involves all of the workforce, not just the, the IT workforce. It also talks to the acquisition workforce and how they understand how to leverage innovation. And also the mission workforce, the, the people that are actually delivering the programs. Uh, and generating uh, exciting opportunities in government and bringing talent into government involves both hiring and, and retention. It also involves exchanges and giving people the opportunity if you're working uh, on a health uh, program in defense, maybe you want to go over and spend some time at HHS or, or VA. Or similarly, if you're in the private sector, um, that there are opportunities to have public-private talent exchanges. And so it was really 
looking to expand the model of a 21st century workforce uh, across the different parts of government and the different parts of, of the stakeholder community that works with government. Dave, what do you think has to happen? What would you like to see happen? Build on what Dan just said or uh, go in another direction entirely, either is fine, to get from where we are now to what the vision of your recommendations is? Francis, I think we have to do three things. Um, one, we have to reimagine work the way we do work in government uh, before we can really move the workforce uh, in any particular direction. So I think that's happening as a result of uh, intelligent analytics and tools that are uh, allowing workers to focus more on high-end uh, activities. The second thing is I think we have to inspire new behavior in the workforce. We can't just say, hey, it's time to, for you to get retrained. We need to inspire the workforce and government to get excited about what they do, to be excited about learning new ways of doing things that they haven't done before. And that takes leadership uh, the, uh, to push that messaging. And the third thing is I think we have to learn how to reskill quickly. We talk about reskilling the workforce, but we tend to uh, ignore um, you know, different avenues by which that can take place, whether it's on-the-job training, whether it's uh, uh, personalized uh, experiences, whether it's formal training and certification. We, we just have to think through how we can do that quicker so that it's not just a mantra or a saying, but that there's, there's evidence that it's actually occurring. Robert, I want to get your input on this question in a minute too, but Dave, is it also fair to say that maybe we need to learn how to rescale at scale? One of the things that I think is important about the efforts that uh, Suzette Kent uh, and Margaret Weikert led for reskilling, the, the, the ideas were very noble, but they were still very small. Uh, yeah. the, the Cyber Academy, uh, Cyber Skills Academy, I think was the first was 25 people, which is great. It's 20, 25 is better than zero, but it's nowhere near making a dent in the challenge that the government has. What's your sense of, of how to do that, or is it just something that's going to take time? It'll take time, but I think what we need is uh, new approaches and new thinking within the agencies themselves on how they retool their own workforces. This is not some central thing that's done, dropped down, and all agencies adopt. I think it's part of the... Uh, again, uh, changes that, that we need to see take place in terms of how people are being managed, incentivized, paid, uh, whatever, all those dimensions. And I think we have some, you know, some different tools, techniques, and ways in which we can do this that we can learn from commercial entities as well that can help us uh, uh, adopt this in a, in a quicker fashion and at scale. I think you're absolutely right. I think we have to do it at scale across the government, and that's not pick out a few agencies and make them models to actually expect this to be done by senior leadership. How practical are these recommendations without significant personnel reform? You know, I, I think you'd both agree the government is saddled with an antiquated personnel system um, and the the aspirations you're talking about would be really hard to accomplish under the current system. Do you agree? And what are the prospects for reform? Well, I think you do uh, a number of things within current law, but you can't scale to a transformational model. So things like the U.S. Digital Service, 
Um, you can create opportunities in, in different areas, non-technology areas, to bring in talent across the government. Imagine a health services core where you would bring in people or a, a education services core uh, for different different mission areas. So you can do things where you're building capabilities in an, in an agile way to pick up on one of the reports, other other themes. But you really would, you're, you're correct, Robert, I think need, if you want to transform it at the scale of whole of government, you do need that that larger larger reform. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that either. However, I think there's uh, uh, acceleration and a, uh, uh, a movement going forward that's not waiting for personnel changes. And, and I think that's a healthy thing. As Dan said, there are things that can be done that don't require change, just like the same comment we make about the FAR. You can do some acquisition things and not, the FAR is not restricting you from doing innovation. So I think it's a combination. It's a one-two punch. I think you can't stand still and wait for the personnel battle to, to occur. You've got to actually get some things going and show that uh, rather than being a threat to the workforce, these new approaches, these reskilling activities are a plus. And I think the other reform will naturally uh, kind of boost off the uh, launch pad after that. Um, the last question, because we're almost out of time, is for Dan and Dave. And it is when this effort began, and you got ready for the first meeting, whether it was virtual or in person, and you went down the list of the people that were going to be involved, did you look when you got to his name, did you go, not Shay again? Can we not? Can we? Don't answer that this question. This guy keeps showing up. Where's the, where's the mute button? You don't have a mute button. I'm the only one with a mute button. Friends, I, it's great to I, talk to both of you, and we love uh, the work that you do, and I love having a good time when we get together and have these conversations and it's great to see you well thank you just add, add how much i enjoyed working with y'all on this product is a really important contribution that i hope folks pay attention to i agree thanks francis and uh, thanks robert appreciate the opportunity to be on with you <laughs> always great to see the fed heads exactly thanks for listening to the fed heads brought to you by grant thornton public sector all of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.